Good afternoon, congregation, and welcome uh, to all those new to our church and those who have yet to connect with us. Um, we hope you are blessed through the worship of our Lord today. Uh, again, we welcome Pastor Vischer to our pulpit, uh, and our gathering song this afternoon is Abide With Me. Call to worship this afternoon is taken from John 14, 15 through 17, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to us. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Congregation of Pathway, it's good to be in your midst once again this day. If you're able, please rise. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, where does your help come from? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the greeting of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Now to sing to the praise of our God from Psalm 135, the stanzas 1 and 2. Oh, 
Let us now confess our Catholic and Adventist Christian faith, the words of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is the oldest as well as the most universally accepted confession of the Christian faith. It sets forth in 12 articles what it is that Christians actually believe. So if people ever ask you, what exactly is it that you believe, the best way to answer that question is to respond with the articles of our Christian faith or the Apostles' Creed. Let's now sing together from hymn one, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now open our Bibles together. We turn to the Gospel according to John, two places. First of all, John 14, the verses 15 to 31, and then John 16, the verses 5 to 16. John 14 and John 16. The reason why I've chosen these passages is in connection with Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which deals with the Holy Spirit. And here in these two passages, the Lord Jesus specifically mentions the coming of the Holy Spirit. First, then, we read from John 14, the verses 15 to 31. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I have told you before it happens, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And then we turn to chapter 16, verses 6 or 5 to 16. Where the Lord Jesus once again says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's sing together now from Psalm 11, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4.
Let us now together call on the name of the Lord and ask him for a blessing on this worship service. Our Father who art in heaven, we come to you once again together as a congregation on the afternoon of this day. And we thank you, Lord, that we may call upon your great and your holy name. We thank you, Father, that we have access to your throne, access into heaven, access to you and to your person. And we pray, Father, that you would receive us, not because we ask it, but because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For we know that he has taken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, but he has also taken down every barrier between you and us. And he has done through through the sacrifice of himself and the shedding of his blood. So, Father, we pray that through Christ you will hear us, and that because of Christ you will answer us, and you will continue to guide and lead our lives according to your most gracious and good will. Father, we believe and we confess that your will alone is good, that you alone know what is best for us. So often we think that we know what is best for ourselves, but Lord, our wisdom is limited, our knowledge is restricted, Our ability to see into the future is non-existent. Father, we need your help. And so we pray, will you be with us? Will you guide us and bless us and give us all that we need? Bless us also as we once again turn to the proclamation of the gospel. We thank you, Father, for the reading of John 14 and 16, reminding us about the coming of that other helper. And we pray that as we reflect upon this more in our sermon, that we may receive the insight and the understanding that we need about him who is the third person of the triune God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Son, and we thank you for your Spirit. And we pray, bless us in your holy name. In Christ we pray. Amen. You once again have the opportunity to give your offering now unto the Lord our God. The offering is for the work of the deacons among those who are in need. And as we give our offering, we are reminded of the words of Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let us in that spirit give of our first fruits.
Let us now sing together once again, this time from Psalm 143, the stanzas 1, 4, and 6. congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon we have come to Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And in Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Catechism summarizes the biblical teaching concerning the Holy Spirit. And it does so in one question and answer. Question and answer 53, Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, He is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He's also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me, and to remain with me forever. Thus far. After the proclamation of the gospel, let's sing together from hymn 48, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Beloved well, congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, when was the last time that anyone challenged you? Perhaps in the past was there a teacher who gave back a test result to you and said, you know, you can do a lot better than that. Or maybe there was a, a boss, or an employer who said to you, you know, actually I was expecting a lot better work from you. Or maybe there was a father or mother who said to you, upon reading your report card, why are you not using all of your gifts and talents? living up to your potential. Of course, no one likes to be challenged in this kind of a way. It's embarrassing, it's unsettling, unnerving. 
And it forces us to take a good, hard look at ourselves. In short, these are the kind of things that attack our comfort zone. But the question before us this afternoon is, isn't that something that needs to happen to us from time to time? Isn't this something that needs to happen almost constantly? As we go through this life, we need teachers and employers and we need parents and many others who either know how to confront us, hold us accountable, bring out the best in us, push us to the next level. We should never settle for mediocrity. And the Heidelberg Catechism seems to understand this somewhat. Repeatedly, the Catechism is not only a comforting confessional document, but at times it's also kind of a challenging one. For example, it starts already in that first Lord's Day, question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? It could have asked more objectively, what is the Bible's only comfort? No, it asks, what is your only comfort? And you get the same thing in question 19 from where do you happen to know this? And 27, what do you understand? Not what do other people understand, but what do you understand personally by the providence of God? And so it goes on and on. Yes, and so it also goes on to Lord's Day 20, question and answer 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? It's not asking what does the Bible say? It's not asking what's the popular opinion about the Holy Spirit. No, it's asking you. What do you personally, what do you yourself know about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about Him? So what do you believe about the Holy Spirit, beloved? You know, if we were having a a regular service with all of you present in this auditorium, I would be tempted to ask the elders and the deacons to pass around a sheet of paper and to ask you to write on that sheet of paper, now tell us exactly what you believe about the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure the answers that would come back would be very interesting. Some would be long, some would be short, some would be uh, controversial, Some would be accurate. Probably a few might even be a bit heretical. Be that as it may, in spite of all the different answers I would no doubt receive, I would dare say that none would be as precise, as succinct, or as brief as Lord's Day 20, question and answer 53. I have to admit that for years I lamented the brevity of this particular Lord's Day and often complained that, you know, if the Ascension receives so many questions and answers, what's up with the Holy Spirit? Not quite fair. But over time, I've reflected on this some more. And and actually, when you come right down to it, you have to kind of admit that here the Catechism summarizing Scripture hits all the right notes. Doesn't get lost in all kinds of details. No, it goes straight to the heart of the matter. Yes, and as it does so, it reveals something. It reveals that the Spirit is a person of beauty. And beauty, 
Well, that's always worth a closer look, right? And so I preached to you this afternoon on the theme, the beauty of the Spirit, the wonder of the person of His person, that's the first thing, and the marvel of His works. The beauty of the Spirit, the wonder of His person, and the marvel of His works. Well, beloved, before we get to the beauty, we first have to confront the ugliness. And you might wonder, well, what do I mean by that? Well, there is an ugly side to the Heidelberg Catechism here. And it's in this challenging question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? The ugliness is in the fact that this particular question needs to be asked in the first place. Why does this have to be put in words? Why does the answer have to be, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God? Isn't that obvious? Shouldn't that be clear enough? Should that not be something that's second nature to us? Well, it should be, and it would be, were it not for our fall into sin and in our rebellion against God. You know, God originally created the world in order that man could live and serve in it and could relish and enjoy him and his creation. And how did man repay him by by doubting these days whether there even is a God? And if there is a God, is he even worthy serving? You know, God the Son takes the sins of a rebellious mankind upon himself and pays them by dying a hideous death on the cross. And how do people repay him by accusing him of blasphemy and asserting that it's a gross insult that Jesus dares to call himself the Son of God? And God the Holy Spirit creates this wonderful bond between God and man. And how is he repaid by by doubts and by questions as to whether or not the Spirit really is God and, and by lowering him down to a thing and an it. And how sad that all is. Testifies to the fact that we have fallen a great, great way. No longer do we have an automatic eye for the greatness of the Father, nor do we have an eye for the glorious redemption of the Son, much less for the ultimate transforming work of the Spirit. Today we live in darkness, superstition, and ignorance. And as a matter of fact, it leads one to wonder, God the Father made this world so beautifully in the beginning, so uniquely, so intricately that people still today are ooing and aahing all over what he has made. Go into the mountains and visit the rivers and the streams and the hills and the valleys. But now does this God have to erect billboards on the highways and put ads on the television screens and and fly banners into the sky saying, I made this, by the way? Has it come to that? Has it come so far? And you know, God the Son came into the world and he became involved in an act of sacrifice so incomprehensible that everyone who understands even a little bit of it marvels. But now does he have to take us by the hand, willingly or unwillingly, and plead, this is what I have done for you. Please, please, don't forget it. Does he have to stoop so low? 
And finally, God the Spirit comes and he helps us every day in a most comprehensive way that we could never thank him enough for. He brings into our hearts what is not there naturally or automatically, namely the goodness of the Father and the compassion of the Son. But now what do we hear but people declaring that they all by themselves found God? That they have let him thank you very much into their lives. That they've accepted him. I have accepted Jesus. But no mention is made of the spirit who took that dead heart and suddenly made it alive. Or of that hard heart. I mean, it's soft and pliable. Or of that ignorant heart and filled it with wisdom. How callous, presumptuous, we have become. So, in a sense, what an indictment it is that the catechism summarizing Scripture has to stand up and shout, the Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. But you know, the catechism echoing Scripture proclaims it, and we should be thankful for truth be told, people need to hear this. They need to know that the Spirit is God. True and eternal God. The third person of the triune God. But how then do we tell people about him? Will a boatload of proof texts do the trick? Will a pile of miracle stories be convincing? I think there's a better way. And the better way is to point to two things. The first thing is to point to love. Indeed, you can say, love is where everything begins. Why did God the Father decide to stage the greatest rescue mission of all? And the answer is very simply, as Jesus says, because God so loved the world. It was love that drove him, caused him to act, eternal love, perfect love, divine love. You might say the same thing is true of the Son. Why did he come into this world in the fullness of time? And it too had everything to do with love. Why else did he lay down his life voluntarily? Why else did he give himself over to suffering, crucifixion, and death? It was love that propelled him to do this for his people. And so now this applies to God the Spirit as well. After Jesus arose, he ascended into heaven. For 33 years he worked and he labored among us, especially in those last three years. But then he went up. And no sooner does he go up than someone else comes down. Yes, and that someone, by the way, has been working among us for thousands of years already, right? Indeed, he's been working under the most difficult of circumstances. Can you imagine what it's like to work in often sour, sick, 
and sinful lives? Can you imagine what it's like to work with dead people, crooked people? Can you imagine what it's like to work in the coal and the salt mines of depraved humanity? But he did it. He continues to renovate, to restore, to renew. And all because the Spirit who is, is love. How great is the love of the Spirit for the Father. How great is the love of the Spirit for the Son. And how great is the love of the Spirit for you and I. He's done. He's doing. What you and I would never do. What we would never volunteer for. But he does it. Sacrificially and continually. So love, divine love is the first thing that proves that the Spirit just has to be God. But then in addition to love, there's also power. Because you see, you need great power, divine power to do the kind of work that the Spirit does. What are the two hardest things in the world? I'll tell you. It's to create something out of Nothing, especially. And the second hardest thing is to recreate something. You know, to, to make this world in the beginning out of nothing was hard, but to recreate man who is dead in sin and trespass in the image of God is just as hard. Read the Canons of Dort, the third and fourth heads of doctrine, Article 12. Two impossible works. And the Spirit is involved in both. In the beginning, he hovered over the face of the waters. And up until today, he continues to make dead people alive. Spiritually, wonderfully, miraculously alive. And who else can do that? Who else can turn a Saul into a Paul? A demoniac into an evangelist. A shady Samaritan woman into an oracle of forgiveness. A cheapskate money changer into a generous benefactor. Who else can do that? Only the Spirit. Because only the Spirit is God. And because he's God, I can joyfully confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He is together with the Father and the Son, true, really true, eternal, everlasting God. But then, beloved, if there is the person of the Holy Spirit, there's also the works of the Holy Spirit. And you know, in that connection, we are tempted when we begin to think about the works of the Spirit to right away talk about the spectacular stuff, you know, miracles and, and tongues and, and visions and ecstatic utterances and all the rest. But notice the catechism doesn't start there. Catechism doesn't even directly mention the spectacular. It begins elsewhere. The catechism begins with the Spirit as gift. He, it says, is also given 
to me. Now, if you think about it, that's a hard place for us people to begin. We would much rather start with the idea of the Holy Spirit as dessert, as reward, or as payment. In other words, we have to earn Him. He's only given to us actually after we've proven ourselves or after we have put in a, a, a sufficient amount of effort, or after we have devoted ourselves adequately to prayer and other spiritual exercises. People who have an inflated opinion of themselves and their own spirituality are quick to claim him as a reward, as the icing on the cake of their religiosity. They've earned him. They've earned the Spirit. They deserve it. Of course, you also have those who doubt and remain ambivalent who will say to you, no, no, I have much more work to do. There's more more sins to confess. There, there's more uh, righteousness, sanctification to achieve and so forth. They can't claim him. They probably never will claim him. But you know, over against such an approach, be it one of haste or be it one of reticence, what a blessing it is to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is first and foremost a gift. He's given to you and I. Given to us by the Son of God. Not earned, not merited. He can't be claimed as the result of lots of spiritual sweat. He's a gift. Think in that regard of David. You know, he composes his horrible sin or his, his psalm after his horrible sin with Bathsheba and, and Uriah. And in Psalm 51, that particular psalm, he also addresses an earnest plea to God. Do not cast me off, he says, from your presence in verse 11, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Obviously, David believes he has the Holy Spirit, that he has the Spirit as gift. But because of his sin, he knows he's betrayed God, he's betrayed the Spirit. The Spirit has so much more work yet to do in his life. The overhaul of his spiritual existence is by no means completed. And so here he pleads in this psalm with God, please, please let me, let me keep what you've already given me. Don't take it away. Don't take your spirit away. Yes, he pleads to keep what he already has. And so, by the way, can we, beloved? Thankfully, we live in the New Testament dispensation, and it's very much a dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost basically means that the Spirit of the living God has come to all of God's people. Every time we are baptized or witness a baptism, we are reminded once again that the Spirit has come to dwell in us and make us living members of Christ. He's been given to us, you see. We haven't earned him. He's a gift of God's sovereign grace. But you know, the Spirit is not only a gift, he's also a bridge. The Catechism, echoing Scripture, says he, he makes me share in 
Christ and all his benefits. You know, there's no way that you and I would be able to share in Christ and all the benefits that he's procured for us were it not for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, as it were, brings us to Christ. He keeps us in Christ. He he grows us in Christ. The Spirit is the one who shares out all of Christ's benefits with us. And without the Spirit, we would be lost. We would be cut off. You know, sometimes that happens also when you look in the world or Sometimes there are two countries and they're separated by a huge river. I think in that regard of where I grew up in Ontario, Niagara Falls, in that area, there's a, a river that divides the American side from the Canadian side. And actually, they're, they're, you don't want to swim across because there's far too many whirlpools and rapids. You never make it. So how do you get from the one side to the other? Well, there's a bridge. And because of that bridge, you can go back and forth, at least when there's no COVID. And you can explore both sides. Well, in some ways, the Holy Spirit is like that. There's Christ on one side, we on the other, and the Spirit is the bridge between us. And on that bridge, there's all kinds of traffic. And usually the traffic is one way. It's going from Christ to us. Gifts of faith, hope, and love. Gifts of joy and and peace and patience, of of holiness and righteousness, of of kindness, goodness, and satisfaction. Yes, Christ is this fantastic bridge. Or the Spirit is this fantastic bridge on which all the treasures of Christ flow from Him to us. And by the way, not only is the Spirit a gift and a bridge, He's also a counselor or comforter. We've read together from John 14 and 16. There the Lord Jesus tells His followers about the other helper. Now you'll notice different translations give different names. Some talk about counselor, some talk about helper as the ESV does. Some talk about comforter and there are other names, advocate as well, that are used in different translations. But, you know, the, the best name of all is that name, Comforter. It's better even than Helper, sorry to say. Literally, a Comforter means someone who comes and who stands beside you when you are in trouble and difficulty and who helps to make you strong. And that's what the Spirit does. Read Matthew, or read John 14, read John 16. He comes to us, He stands beside us, He even lives in us, He teaches us, reminds us, convicts and convinces us, guides and reveals to us. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit to stand beside us? Why do you think that Christians so often confess that in the midst of the darkest times of their life they felt really strengthened, really comforted, really full of fortitude? It's because of the Holy Spirit. You can't see Him, but He's there, standing beside them, standing beside us. Beloved, as long as we have the Spirit in our lives, we are never without a refuge or a fortress or a stronghold 
our hiding place. We have God's greatest comforter, counselor with us every day. And are we conscious of that fact? Do we realize this? Do we take it into account or do we gloss over it and forget about it? How much better to pray? To pray for the, to the Father. Not just for the forgiveness of the Son, but also for the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to invest our lives. And so the Spirit is gift, the Spirit is bridge, the gift, the Spirit is counselor. The Spirit's also companion. Catechism says, finally, He will remain with me forever. By the way, do you know anyone else who remains with you forever? Your parents may remain with you for most of your life. Your wife may remain with you for many years and decades if you're blessed. But who remains with you and I forever and ever? Well, the the Scripture says the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit stays with us every day. And that's not just wishful thinking on the part of the authors of the Catechism either, no. The Lord Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Forever. You're never alone. You're never simply a single solitary figure somewhere. You always have the Spirit if you're in Christ. Jesus says, I'll never leave you as orphans. So you see, beloved, the Spirit travels with us. He travels with us through the hills and the valleys, through the known and the unknown pathways. He travels with us today and tomorrow through trials and temptations in all kinds of circumstances and situations. And you can be sure the Spirit is also traveling with you in these COVID times. God does not forget. His Spirit does not forget you in these times as well. So, beloved, we have the Spirit as gift, bridge, counselor, companion. But one little more thing, it's not so little, that you shouldn't forget. And the Catechism points that out as well. He's also given to me, it says, to make me by a true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. Notice that expression, by a true faith. You want to know the Spirit, you want to be hooked into the gifts of the Spirit, then you have to make him your own through faith. And all these blessings will come to you. They're blessings of faith. And so, beloved, do that. I urge you to do that. Continue to look to God, to the triune God. Continue to look to the third person of the triune God, to the Holy Spirit. Continue to commit your life, your entire existence to Him. And you will be blessed beyond measure 
and blessed forever. Amen. Let us now pray and call on the name of the Lord and give thanks. Our good and gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we have to acknowledge that often we tend to forget, believe it or not, the Holy Spirit, why you sent him. And what he does. So often we focus our attention elsewhere or we focus it on the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, important as that is. But sadly we neglect to really reflect upon and to rely upon the Holy Spirit on who he is and what he does. And we pray, Father, that this Lord's Day and the subsequent Lord's Day as well, we may continue to correct that realizing that without the Spirit there is no church, without the Spirit there is no forgiveness of sins, without the Spirit there is no communion of saints, without the Spirit there is no resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so, Father, strengthen us in our lives and cause our lives to be lived to the Holy Spirit and out of the Holy Spirit every day. We pray, Father, too, that you would continue to bless your congregation here in Pathway, that you would be with all of your children, young and old alike, in all of life circumstances and in all situations. Father, we pray that you would continue to show your love and faithfulness to all of your people 
and especially, Father, to those who are struggling, to those who are sick, to those who are lonely, to those who are dealing with not just physical ailments, but mental ailments as well, to those who are in situations of conflict or poverty. Father, you know all the burdens of your people, and we commend your people and your children into your care, goodness, love, and mercy. Continue, Father, to be with the elders and the deacons in this congregation as they seek to serve the needs of this flock. Give to this, the elders the love and faithfulness they need to care for those in their charge. And give to the deacons the wisdom and the generosity to dispense the gifts of Christ to the congregation and beyond. And grant, Father, that through the work of these men, your people may be blessed and your name may be glorified. We also, Father, pray for Pastor Phil Grutenheis and his wife Joy, who have been called by this congregation and who hope somehow in one way or another to visit with this congregation in the coming week. We don't know exactly how that will happen, but we pray that you would open closed doors and that you would make the impossible possible, that they may meet together, and that they as a ministerial couple may receive what they need in terms of insight and understanding in preparation for a decision which will have to be made as to whether or not to remain in Phoenix or whether to come here to Abbotsford. Lord, would you bless them with wisdom, with safe travel, with insight, and with humble dependence upon you and the guidance of your Spirit. Father, continue to be with all the causes of your church and kingdom. Continue to be with our missionaries whether our missionaries in Brazil or in Papua New Guinea or in other parts of the world. Father, you know that your word goes forth in so many places. And we realize as well that some of those places are really difficult, challenging, intimidating, persecuting. And so we pray, bless your servants and bless the march of the gospel. Continue, Father, also to be with all the work of other works of your church, not just in mission, but also in theological education. As the academic year in Hamilton at our seminary comes to a close, will you bless the students and the work that they have done and bless the labors of the professors and the staff as well. And continue to cause more young men to step forth for the ministry of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we also pray, continue to be with those who rule and reign over us. These are controversial times, times in which many people think that they know better than the governing authorities. And certainly we have to say the governing authorities don't always get it right. But yet, Father, we pray for patience, understanding, and we pray that you would grant those who rule over us the faithfulness and the love and the wisdom that they need to rule well. And grant that we in turn may, even if we disagree at times, may continue to give them honor and respect and pray that you would abundantly help them and strengthen them. And so, Father, grant that also in these times of sickness and hospitalization, in particular, we pray for all those working in hospitals, doctors and nurses and staff, patients as well, Father. We know, Lord, that many of our hospitals are filled to capacity And we don't know what's going to happen next. There's all kinds of tension in the air and all kinds of uncertainty. But at bottom, we know that you 
are still in control. And so, Father, guide and direct all things according to your will, to the well-being of your people, and to the benefit of all those whom you have created. We humbly ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing together as our closing hymn, hymn 49, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. at Pathway continue to receive the blessing of the Lord as we go out into this week. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
Just near.